Welcome to the Apawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. Okay, we're into our second week on the book of Job. Um, and uh, quite, quite a lot of uh, response from last week. Um, quite a lot, actually. Even yesterday, I spent most of Saturday... Um, interacting on Facebook. I've got to shut Facebook down on Saturdays because I think, I think I've annoyed most of my family. <laughs> Monica's like, what are you doing? I'm saying, oh, I'm prepping for tomorrow, honey. No, I'm not. I'm actually arguing on Facebook these theological issues that are coming up, which has been a lot of fun. Um, and it's great to see that you guys are interacting with all of that. Um, just to give you a quick recap, we, we did basically the first few verses of chapter 1 and how Satan... Um, comes into the picture here. Um, But there were four things uh, that we noted at the end of the sermon last week. And the first one was that really what we notice in these first chapters or the first verses of Job is that Job is completely innocent. He hasn't done anything wrong. This poor guy is upright. God says he's good. Nothing wrong with this bloke. And yet we're about to experience or we're about to see what he's experienced. So poor old Job, he is innocent. We note that. We note that also he's not on trial. This is not a testing ground for him. He's not on trial because we've already established that he's innocent. So why is God doing this? And the questions get even more and more uncomfortable. Job is ignorant of the decisions that are made in heaven. If Job had known this whole discussion between God and Satan... Do you think it would have made it just a little bit easier for him? It may not have been very much understanding, but it would have been a little bit easier to know what is going on in heaven. And that's something that we struggle with daily, right? We don't know the decisions that are made in heaven. And so we struggle with why. Why is this happening? And the last one, and this is the tough question that we we confronted last week, was God both initiated the discussion and approved the course of action. Yesterday I was, I was on Facebook and, and someone wrote to me, which is a typical Christian response, to say that, well, Satan was evil. He went out and did all this thing to Job. Well, hang on a second. That's not what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? God initiated the discussion Job rightly pointed out, hey, you've protected the bloke. And Satan's like, hey, of course, if you protect him, he's going to always worship you. And God's response is, okay, do whatever you want. Just don't hurt him. What? Really? Ouch. Not only did he initiate the discussion, he approved the course of action. And that's the toughest thing for us Christians to face today. Now, I've got answers to all of these, but you've got to stick with me because you've got to take the whole book into context. You've got to take it all into context. I'm not going to get into discussions about why Satan was there. I did that last week. If you're interested, go online. You can hear the podcast from last week. And I've discussed it quite a bit during the week. But here we are faced with this situation. And what is worse is what's going to happen. But there was one statement that we made last week, and it was this one. 
And that is if righteousness before God is all that Job values, then it doesn't matter what happens to him, that cannot be taken away. Now you've got to keep this statement in your mind as we go through this. If righteousness is all that he cares about, being right before God, then no matter what's taken away from him, that cannot be taken away. With me? The most difficult verse, though, is this one. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And if you don't know what happens next, you can only just imagine, what is he going to do to poor Job? They've just had this discussion in heaven, so Satan goes out to do his worst. And poor old Job Job doesn't even know what's going to hit him. And boy, does it hit him. Let's start with verse 13. It says this, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a message to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Boom! Bang! There goes all your cattle, all your livestock. They're gone! And then not only that, but they killed the servants that were looking after them. Bang! Oh! Oh, but! Hang on, it doesn't stop there. While that guy was speaking... Another one came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed, and I alone escaped. Boom! Can you imagine poor old Job sitting at his desk thinking, What? Hang on, I'm in crisis control. What do we do? But before he can even think it through, before he can even start to to think of a strategy, while that guy was still speaking, the third one comes in, And says the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I've learned what my camels too. You remember how many camels he had? If you read in the first verses, he had a whole lot of camels. I wonder what you do with so many camels. I don't know what you do with camels. Do you milk them? I have no idea. But he had a lot of them. And now they're all gone. And poor old Job is just sitting there in front of the What is going on? He hasn't had a time. To think until this guy, while he's still hearing from these guys, another one came. Your sons and your daughters. Did we get up to that? Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came and across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people and they are dead. I alone have escaped. So how do you think Job is feeling right now? He didn't have time to even digest the first question, the first thing that came to his desk. He's still reeling from 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 all his his grapes and harvests and, and the camels now he's thinking about now he's kids. Would that knock the wind out of you? Let's be honest here, huh? Would that just knock the wind completely out of you? Man, I remember when, when my uncle showed up to my house. I remember it very clearly because I remember looking out my window and he was walking with mum and my mum was crying and I had no idea what was going on. 
17 years old, he walked into my bedroom and he sat me down. He said, Dad's dead. And I remember thinking to myself, I should be crying right now, but I couldn't barely breathe. It had knocked the wind out of me. And I can just imagine Job, still kind of reeling from the first reports, gets that last report, bang! Oh, man, what is going on here? Everything is gone. And so what does he do? Job rose and tore his robe, shaved his head, there we go, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And worshipped. The Hebrew word for worshipped is a great word. You've got to almost say it with gusto. It's shakar. But it doesn't actually mean worship as we know today, because our worship is a little different. It's kind of that hillsongy kind of, let's raise our hands, hey, we're worshipping God kind of thing. Actually, shakar means laying prostrate before God. Laying prostrate on the ground, honouring God. He is so high, he is so good that I cannot even stand in his presence. I will lay down. Now, let me ask you, would that be your first response? Let's be honest here. Anyone here righteous, because I'm not, I'd, I'd be pretty mad at God right now if I were Job. But his first response is to worship God. Whoa, what is up with you, Job? God has taken everything away from you. You're left with nothing. But his first response is to worship. Not just worship by turning on some music and going, yeah, God, I love you, God. No, just down on the ground, laying it out and saying, only you. In fact, he goes on to say, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. Wow. There's that subtle difference. It's not just a, well, I still love the Lord. No, I'm going to worship him. Even though this has happened, Job has elected to choose faith. He's elected to say, you know, that's happened. I still honor my God. It's a choice he made. He chose faith. And it says this as well. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Man, I'd be blaspheming. I'm sorry, guys. My kids are my kids. My wife is my wife. What I have for them. You take that all away from me, what have I got left? And some of us feel that way, don't we? Take away my kids. Take away my grandkids. Take away my... What I have? What's the point of living? (laughs) It doesn't get better for poor Job. Hang on. Let's go to chapter 2. And again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came along to present himself before the Lord. 
And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered, the Lord said, uh, Satan answered, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me to, against him to destroy him without reason. Deja vu? Didn't we read this in the first chapter? What's going to happen to poor Job here now? God, don't speak for me, please. Really, Job, don't. I can imagine Job, he's thinking, hang on a sec, the first time you told that to Satan, he came back and you said, yeah, go for it. What's he going to do now? You know, it's, it's almost like, you know, if, if I were, if, if, please, Lord, don't speak for me. I'm quite happy. Really, really, just don't. Well, the problem is it's going to get worse for Job because Satan now has his turn. He, he, he goes on to say, then Satan answered, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give his life for, give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and flesh and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Just when you thought it couldn't get worse. Not only have we got seen Job being stripped of everything, his kids, his camels, everything, now let's just cover him in sores so badly that he's using a piece of broken pottery to scratch the sores. Okay. Who has just a little bit of sympathy for poor old Job? Huh? Just a little bit. Huh? The poor guy. What's the sad thing about this is Satan's actually using Deuteronomy 28 in this passage if you go to Deuteronomy 28 there are the curses of disobedience and the curses of disobedience say this that God will take away your your crops he will take away your livestock he will take away your children and he will cover you in sores so Satan is using the curse of disobedience to a man who has never been disobedient Ouch! And the readers of that time would have known that very well. Remember I told you, this was an Israelite who wrote this. Most probably around the time of Ezekiel, but it could have been Moses who wrote it. So the people who would have been reading this, they would have said, why is he getting the curse of disobedience? He hasn't done anything wrong. Deuteronomy 28 says, this is what happens when you're disobedient. It's what we call you know, uh, retribution theology, which we still hang on to to this day. If I do this, God will do this. Anyone heard that before? Anyone feel like that sometimes? No? Come on. If I do something wrong, oh, God's going to punish me. Really? I mean, we do think that. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. You know, that just kind of totally covers over grace, doesn't it? 
If Christ died once and for all, you know, well, I won't get into retribution theology, but I'm not a big fan of it. It was there. It was used for a period of time. Christ came. He's covered us. At the same time, I think, it keeps us in line, doesn't it? But here we have poor old Job. Ooh, I went too far with that. Poor old Job, struggling, covered in sores, but yet he still chooses faith. He chooses to follow God. He chooses not to sin. He chooses, well, this is my lot. This is where I'm at. You know what? It actually gets worse for Job. Do you know that? It doesn't stop with the sores and everything taken away. His lovely wife gives him some advice. You know what that advice is? Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Oh, thank you, honey. I feel so much better now. Curse God. Remember how I said to you, Obama was in the book of Job? What was that word? Barach. Well, it's not actually Obama, but Barach in Hebrew can mean three different things curse, blessing, praise. One word means three just completely different things. And it's Barach. So, you know, poor old. Uh, uh, Bible translators are going to look at that. Is she saying, bless God and die, or praise God and die? Nah, she's pretty clear on this one. She's actually telling him to curse God and die. And poor old Job, left with nothing, and the one person who should be near him, just die. What's the point of living Thanks. Thank you very, very much. But I think, in all honesty, this is one of the most important verses in this whole book. Because it outlines Job's problems. It's poignant. It brings up three things I want to share with you. Good old Baptist sermon this morning, giving you three points. Okay? Three points come out of just this comment that she makes. And the first one I want to share with you is, choosing faith will not eliminate the pain. Okay, we need to understand this. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean pain ceases. Just because you believe in God doesn't mean that the pain will go away. He's not Nurofen Plus or Codeine. You know, Codeine's kind of cool. It makes you feel kind of cool, lightheaded. Yes, I love this stuff. No, that's not God. Okay? Just because I believe, just because I have faith, doesn't mean the pain will go away. It doesn't mean it will disappear. And you know, Job says it, he goes, naked I came, and naked I shall return. The Lord can give and he can take away. That's his deal. But, blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, Job's wife... has this view of life. It's life with benefits. 
And without those benefits, I can't live. What's the point of living? Curse God and die. Those benefits, children, job, my personal integrity, uh, my degrees, my education, my smarts, my cars, my house, my... These are life with benefits. And when you take them away, well, what's the point of living? What's the point of living? Bono from U2 tells this story. Uh, his, his close friend, Michael Hutchins, who was a singer of In Excess, committed suicide in Sydney. Uh, it would have been, I think it was 96 that he did that. Close friend, he committed suicide. Bono was interviewed and he was asked, you know, any thoughts about this? And Bono was so angry. He said in the 80s, in 80, I think it was 86, he was in Ethiopia during the worst famine that country had ever seen. He said he was holding kids, little kids who were dying in his hands, struggling, struggling to get a breath out. Struggling just to get that extra breath. And you know, in Bono's mind, he said, why do they want to live? Look at what they have to live around. But these kids didn't care. They wanted to live. And they would struggle and he would see them dying in his hands. And he says, here's a guy who's got everything throwing his life away. I don't understand our culture anymore when there are people in this world dying to live and others who are living to die. Pain has a way of doing that to us. Pain has a way of derailing us, of of throwing us off the tracks. And we start to cling to those benefits because they are all that we have. But you know what? All that you have is not what you have here on earth. All that you have is in heaven. His name is Jehovah Yahweh. He is your God. That is all you need. Everything is a benefit. Everything is a benefit. And here's a struggle. Because, you know, Job's wife... Hey, you got nothing left. You might as well die. And Job's response to her is this. Should we only accept good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? You know, he can come, he can take, he can give. Oh, man. How do you handle that? How do you digest that? Some people choose to close themselves off, to close themselves from being hurt, from closing themselves off from suffering, from closing themselves off from loving. Why? Because loving hurts. Opening up, no, because opening up hurts. No, because no, and they close themselves off. And we allow the hurt and the pain that others have done to us to dictate how we live our future. You with me? Why is it that we allow those who have hurt us, those who have inflicted pain on us, to dictate how we live our lives? And why do we invest so much in the benefits? 
when at the end of the day, the one thing you should be investing in above all things is your relationship with God. Because when that day comes, who was it that said better to have loved than never to have loved? I will cherish every day I live with my kids. If they are taken away, if God decides he wants them, would I curse him and say, I wish I never had kids? Never. Will I miss them? Terribly. Will I feel the hurt and the pain? Absolutely. Don't let the hurt, the pain dictate how you're to live your life. Don't let it happen because then you're living to die, not dying to live. When that pain takes over, if that over, overcomes you, then you're, you're living to die, you're not dying to live. And the next question is this, choosing faith will eliminate, will not eliminate the questions. Um, choosing faith will not eliminate the questions. David says this, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Choosing faith, because you believe in God, doesn't mean it will eliminate all the questions. Man, every week I've got people who come in, Hugh knows this, they've got all sorts of questions. Everybody has questions. I've still got questions, let alone, don't even talk about suffering and pain. Let me tell you just about the universe. How do I think? Why do I think? Why am I even talking? How does that come out? Where does that come from? Why did we even get, how did, are there any people on other planets on this universe? You know, all these things come into your head. But when it comes to suffering, that's when we really want answers to our questions. Why, God? Why do you let this happen? Well, let me tell you, by choosing faith doesn't mean you'll have all your questions answered. But I'll tell you what it does do and what God's intention is for you. You see, just cursing God and dying doesn't solve the issues. When we are weak, we need to lash out. When we are hurt, We need to blame someone. And here's the thing. When we are hurt, what do we need? We need comfort. When we're in pain, what do we need? We need healing. And guess who God has provided for both those questions? Therefore, encourage one another. Build one another up. Just as you are doing. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart and a humble mind. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The biggest heartache I have with just our city is people who don't have someone that they can find healing, someone who's going to walk beside them and give them a tender 
hand. You know what that's what we're called for? That's the power in church. Because inevitably, we're going to experience pain. We're going to experience suffering. So God doesn't want you to be alone when you're in the midst of that. Poor old Job, he's stuck. He's alone. The one person he's relying on to give him just a hand around him and just say, honey, we'll get through this. Honey, don't worry. We can work it out. No, curse God and die. How do you think he feels? Lonely. Completely out. Maybe she's got a point. How different would it have been for Job if she put her arm around him? I'm with you. We can get through this together. As a wife or a husband, we can start another family. We can get more camels. We, we can, don't worry. At the end of the day, I'm here. We're together. How important do you think that is for all of us? And don't just think about yourself. Because the first thing we do, oh yeah, I've never had love. I've never had, stop right there. Reach out. Because the moment you do reach out, you start to feel it right back. God has called us to live in community because he knows we are going to experience pain and suffering and he doesn't want you to experience it alone. Simple as that. You're not going to get your questions answered The pain's not going to stop, but you're going to have the support, the love, the tenderness. Your burdens will be carried. There's another thing that he provides for us. Romans 8.26 says this, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Sometimes it's good, instead of throwing out questions, just leaning back. It's not easy, I know. But leaning back and in our weakness saying, Holy Spirit, if you're real, I need you here right now. If you're real, if you live in me. Sheldine said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit lives in me. And then I need you right now. Two things. Each other. So, instead of plotting about what needs to be changed in the church or how things need to be run, plot on how you can support one another. Plot on how you can share that love. See who needs that tenderness, that, um, that help. And put your energies in that. And who cares what the colour of our carpet is? Amen? Last question is this. Choose faith will not create a logical reason for your suffering. You know, there's that scene. That scene, we talked about this a few weeks ago, when Jesus and and the prostitute, remember that? Remember the prostitute who was ripped out of her bed with her lover, uh, of course, the guy disappears, but we'll, we'll pick on the girl. This is what these, these priests are saying. Hey, let's, let's pull this girl out. She's committing adultery. And in the early of the morning, 
in her nakedness, dragging her through the streets, throwing her before Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Yeah. Jesus stoops. She's thrown on the ground before her, and he stoops. Man, he must have had a bad back after a while. I don't know, I'm getting old. I'm trying to stoop now. Oh, man, too many squats. That's a problem. Um, but we believe in a God that stoops. Does that make logical sense to anyone here? For some of us, yes, absolutely. He stoops. You know why? He's not going to heal her of her sin, of, of the thing that is dogging her. He is actually just going to go straight down and go on level par with her and say, I am right next to you. All these guys are towering over you. They're pointing out all your sin. Me, I'm actually going to stoop down. I'm going to come down to your level. Why? Because I love you. Why? Because I care about you. Why? Because right now you're hurting and I want to be near you. And it's interesting when Jesus responds to those who are towering around him, what does he do? He stands up and he responds to him. And then right after he responds to him, back down to the stooping, writing in the sand. Who knows what he wrote? I shared with you what I thought he wrote. Grace happened here. It's, there's no logical sense. We can't make up a reason for how and why suffering happens. Don't even boggle your mind over that. It's just, it's, it, I've tried, believe me. There is no logical sense. And when you read Job, you hear them trying to make some logic out of it. They question people's characters. They question, I mean, Satan, well, it starts off by Job questioning his kids' characters because he's offering those sacrifices, well, just in case. So I'm questioning, he's questioning their character. But then it's Satan who questions God's character. But then it's his wife that questions him or his friends that question his character. And at the end, Job questions God's character. Everyone's questioning everybody. Everyone's making assumptions or presumptions. But at the end of the day, they're all wrong. And when we're hurting, when we're suffering, we make assumptions, presumptions about people, about God. Why, God? You must be a horrible God. You're a terrible God. Why would you let this happen? Or the person that's hurt us. You're a horrible human being. How can you do this? Why do you do this? Or about ourselves. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe this. Or, oh, I can't believe they hurt me. I can't believe I have to go through this. And all these presumptions and assumptions happen. But you know what? I've noticed every time when it comes to reconciliation, when we come before either in conflict or in hurt and pain, we realize when we look at each other after it, how did that all happen? You're really not that bad a person that I've been making out. I'm not really that bad a person I've been making out. God has actually healed. He's not that bad either. When you lose logic in the midst of suffering and pain, I can tell you right now, again, it's like the train that gets derailed. You're not going to find the tracks very easily. You're going to beat about the bush for quite some time until you realize that maybe I need to get back on the track. And then when you get back on the track, you realize, hey, uh, God is good. So three things we've looked at this morning. Choosing faith will not eliminate the pain. It won't eliminate the questions. It won't 
create a logical reason for our suffering. It won't. And in choosing faith, we choose not to allow the pain to dictate our future. We choose to look at each other when it comes for needing support and help and uplifting and brother and tenderly love, whatever it is that we need. We look to each other and that we don't seek to find a logical answer. We leave it to God. Hey, you know what? You know what's going on better than me. Now, in saying all that, I'm not minimizing anyone's pain. And that doesn't just mean we can blow off any hurt that we have. Okay, Jesus makes it very clear how we need to deal with that. All I'm saying is, because you believe in God doesn't eliminate the pain. It doesn't eliminate the questions. And it surely doesn't bring any logical conclusion to why I'm going through this. There could be a reason for it. I don't know. We might find out afterwards. I don't know. But what I'm going to challenge you this morning, just like Job, choose faith. Choose God. Because by choosing him, believe me, you're choosing life. You're not, you're not living to die. You're dying to live. Are you with me? Ask the worship team to come up. Let me pray. Father God, uh, gee, I can't even imagine how many of us here are going through suffering or through pain. Maybe not to the extent of Job, but we don't measure pain, Lord. You don't measure pain. The extremities of Job are no different to our pain or our questions or our hurt. And there are some here, Lord, that have been hurt. Maybe not even recently. They may have been hurt when they were young. And they're still carrying that hurt. We pray for healing, Lord. We pray that they may not live by that hurt. That they may live by who you are, Lord. By choosing faith in you. For those of us who are hurting today. Wow, we've got many reasons to be hurting. You know, we've asked the questions. We've we've been challenged by the pain. And it doesn't really seem much of a logic in any of it. But I know, Lord, I I can only choose you. There's nothing else. And I ask, Lord God, that you speak to the hearts of our community here, Lord, and help them to choose you. Choose faith. And, And like Job, even in the worst of it, we know you're working in this somehow, some way. And we trust you. And we trust you, Lord. Because Job didn't know what happened in chapter 42. He doesn't know what's going to happen then. We do. We can go to the book and read it. But just like Job, we don't know what's going to happen in chapter 42 of our own lives. So we give it to you, Lord. We're dying to live. We're dying to live out your will for our lives. So I lift my people up to you, Lord. In the name of your precious Son, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.